0: Good afternoons with me, I'm Bill Arnold, and I am very interested in what's going to happen in the next hour because every so often I just feel like I need to get uh, Dr. Matthew Barrett on the show because he's written a book called Simply Trinity, The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. And when it comes to the Trinity, uh, who struggles with that, right? I mean, nobody's confused when it comes to the Trinity. It's Everybody's got that figured out. All I know is when I get to heaven, I'm going to the information booth and saying, I'm signing up for the seminar on the Trinity, because it seems so uh, takes so much to think and comprehend that there's Father, Son and Holy Spirit, uh, one God and three persons, and of course, that'll all be revealed in its uh, complete uh, entirety in glory. But for now, there are still some things I, I wonder about, and um, Dr. Matthew Barrett spent a lot of time thinking about this, so I'm glad to have him back on the program. Matthew, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, you know, you're you're very helpful, very helpful for me. And I, I think if I'm getting helped, I bet other people are too. Because when it comes to well, you know understanding the Trinity, um, you know, it's a it's a challenge for many.
1: Well, you must be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, is uh, a bit of a, a intense point for us, isn't it? Because on the one hand, we know that this doctrine is absolutely essential to be a Christian. Uh it's at the very center of our Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we often struggle, if we're honest, we often struggle to understand what do we what do we believe this for and and what exactly does it mean to confess uh, the Trinity, and so it can be, I think for many listeners, they might resonate with this, that it, it if we're honest, it can be uh, not just difficult to understand, but sometimes a bit puzzling as to, we know that this is true, but, but why exactly is this so central to the Christian faith?
0: Mm-hmm. Matthew, let's go back to some of your earliest um, uh, teaching that you ever learned about the Trinity. When did you get saved? How how old were you?
1: Well, I was I was blessed in so many ways I had um, two parents that taught me the gospel nice. at a very young age and were just very faithful to not just read me the scriptures but also take me to church and believe it or not they were uh, very welcoming uh and and even inviting saying hey go talk to the pastor if you have questions and the lord used that to work in my own heart and not just to give me a knowledge of Jesus Christ but but also to to give me faith in Him. And, uh, you know, this is very relevant for what we're talking about today, because sometimes the Trinity can feel like, well, that's something we just check off on our, our orthodoxy box to make sure we're not heretics. and And that may be true, but actually, as I look back on my own salvation, I realize, well, when I came into contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I didn't even realize it, but I was also, my eyes were being opened to that gospel and the way that it, it reveals the Trinity that, that saves us, that we worship every Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And so all that to say, sometimes the Trinity can feel far away and difficult, but at the same time, the tr- we may know more about the Trinity than we think simply because it's revealed to
0: us in the gospel itself. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness for the gospel and the way it teaches and trains us and equips us to know. I remember in my very early days of just being, you know, a kid going to church, and my my brain fills in little blanks. So I, you have your Heavenly Father, right? And you have Jesus, because he's up on the cross, you know, in church. I see him hanging on the on the cross in church. And then there's the dove, the bird, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah,
1: and, and one of the most visible, tangible pictures of this is we well we meet it right away, don't we? As soon as we open the the New Testament at Jesus's baptism, in which Jesus goes right into the waters to be baptized, and we hear the voice of the Father saying, "This is my only begotten beloved Son," and Of course, we know when we keep reading that Jesus himself claims to be the very son of God. And then we also, just like you mentioned, the Holy Spirit descends. And so they saw this descent in the form of a duck just descend on Christ as uh, just as the Old Testament prophets promised that he would be anointed uh, by the Holy Spirit. You know, that picture uh, is also a reminder to us that this trinity that we confess it it didn't just happen all of a sudden it wasn't invented it didn't didn't come out of nowhere Uh, when jesus uh, is baptized for example or when we refer to say um, jesus being born of mary or the incarnation at large rather as our eyes are drawn to this trinity uh, say in the incarnation it's meant to take us further to ask well if if this is who Jesus is, if this is what he is doing, where did he come from? And mm-hmm. and who who is he from? Not just what we see in the Incarnation, but it, could he be right that he's the Son of God from all eternity? Which then raises some really important doctrinal questions.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, Matthew, I may have said this before, I know I've said this on the air before, but that that image of Jesus coming out of the waters of baptism and, and the voice of God and the dove descending, and this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And I think, boy, isn't that what every young man needs to hear from his father? Because if you hear those things, you're my son, I love you, I'm proud of you, you go out into the world in strength.
1: Well, you know, the, the baptism of Jesus, it, it really is a a, a a clear moment for us as Christians, isn't it? Um, because... It, it, we have to ask the question: Who? What does it mean? Why? Why does Scripture use this language? All it's all over the place. I mean, John's Gospel is just filled with it, isn't it? This language of Father and Son. Now we have a, a real temptation at that point, and this is where my book, you know, uh, does bring the hammer down. Um, the temptation is we can start to think um, in terms of just a human society, as if you know, the father is father and the son is son, just like, you know, any one of us are fathers and sons. But of course, we, we know, no, that can't be the case, because we're separate people. You know, my, I have a dad, and I'm sure you do too. And, and you know, you're a son, and I'm a son, but we're we're separate individuals. But as you mentioned, even as you opened up our, our discussion, uh, well, this is the one God we are talking about. And so as the scriptures say, this is the Father and this is the Son, we're introduced to really important language in John's gospel, uh, John 3.16, right? For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Well, What is that all about? Well, I think what John's trying to communicate here, this is actually how he begins his gospel. He's trying to say, well, the reason we call him Son is because Yes, he is a son and he has a father, but unlike us, unlike human sons and fathers, he is from this father or begotten from this father, but from all eternity. And we have to just admit right right away, that completely defies, uh, goodness, our, our own minds, uh, because everything we experience is very temporal and limited. And, um, you know, I'm a father and, and then uh, I have a son, but You know, I will die one day, and there was once a a point in which my son didn't even exist. But we we can't say that of the Trinity. He was always Father, and the Son was always Son. So this is why so many of the great Church Fathers said, well, from all of eternity, the Son was begotten from the Father, uh, but not in a way that makes the Son less in any sense, because all three persons of the Trinity are equal with one another.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Matthew, I have a ton of questions for you, and um, a couple of minutes before we go to break, but in in your uh, book, Simply Trinity, the Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit, you do make a, a kind of a shocking discovery, and you say that we've manipulated the Trinity, recreating the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our own image. We have distorted the Trinity to justify our countless social agendas. I would love for you to say more about that
1: well that really uh captures the subtitle of the book and you're exactly right um this hit me really hard over the head uh you know as i i'm a professor uh as well as a pastor and so i spent a lot of my time studying and and researching and as i was looking at just shelf after shelf of, of all the books i've read on the trinity i realized one book after another tended to use the Trinity to justify any number of social agendas, and it, it got pretty wild, I, I must admit. Um, everything, goodness, everything from in the 20th century trying to, you know, uh, add support for a certain political stance uh, to gender debates in the, the late second half of the 20th century, um, and, and it just the list just goes on. And what I realized is, wait a minute, could we actually be misusing the Trinity because we're actually defining the Trinity wrong to begin with? And so what I discovered is that, yeah, we we do have a tendency to do that. And in in the 20th century, our tendency is to just assume that The Trinity is just a a type of society, like our society, in which you have different individuals who who get along with each other and cooperate with one another, and so therefore the Trinity can then be a a paradigm for our society, and and then in comes our agenda. But what we actually discover in Scripture is something very different. Um, Rather than separate individuals with their their own uh, center of consciousness or will— uh, in, in which you would you could get pretty close to the heresy called tritheism. Actually, Scripture tells us that Father, Son, and Spirit are the one God. Uh, to put this technically, uh, they hold in common the, the one undivided, indivisible, divine essence, uh, so that there is no greater or lesser. Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit are equal with one another. And when I discovered that, I realized, well, this is actually very different than, <laughs> than than how we operate in society because this Trinity doesn't; these persons don't just get along with each other. <laughs> they actually they actually share in common the the same one divine essence and will, um, which, well, altogether that that's a very different definition of the Trinity, um, and, and and you know the big picture of things that should, you know, give us a little bit of hesitancy hesitancy to to be so quick to just use the Trinity uh, for for any number of things in society.
0: Mm -hmm. Dr. Matthew Barrett is my guest, and he has written a book called Simply Trinity, The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, boy, do I have a lot of questions for him. back to the show so glad to have dr matthew barrett as my guest he's written a book called simply trinity and it's uh the unmanipulated father son and spirit uh matthew do you go by matthew or do you like Matt? or i want to make sure i'm oh yeah matthew's fine okay good <laughs> sometimes the the titles on books are not what people go by so i just want to make Very sure true. If, I'm not annoying you with calling you Matthew when you go by Matt. All right, so let's talk about our beliefs as evangelicals. Uh, why do they fail to align with those the, the biblical Orthodox beliefs that churches have really cherished and confessed since the very beginning? Well, this is a
1: difficult, maybe even painful point in our in the conversation because. I think if, if we're honest and, and we look at our recent evangelical history, it is a bit disturbing. Um, let me just give one example. Um, for all of history, uh, what it meant to confess the Trinity, well, essential to that confession was this belief, uh, we actually already mentioned it, this belief that the Son is begotten from the Father. That's why we call him Son, we call the Father, Father, but uh, unlike our human experience, this begetting is from all eternity. Uh, It's sometimes called eternal generation. And in the fourth century, uh, just a little dip into church history here, in the fourth century, there was a group, a heretical group called Arians, who actually challenged that, that notion. And they said, no, there once was when the sun was not. And so they subordinated the Son. They made him less than the Father, and, and he was not uh, even eternal with the Father, which means there was a time not only when the Son was not, but when the Father was not. Well, many uh, church fathers, maybe uh, some of our listeners have heard of them, individuals like Athanasius, uh, spent their lives uh, defending the doctrine of the Trinity in response, and um, we could name so many of them here. Uh, sometimes you'll hear names like Gregory of Nyssa um, or Basil of Caesarea. But the point is that many of these church fathers spent their lives and to to articulate what we call the Nicene Creed. In other words, uh, many of these Arians were actually quoting scripture. And so it would not do to simply quote scripture back at them. They They disagreed. So what did the church fathers have to do to actually ensure the church stayed faithful to the Trinity of Scripture? Well, they gathered together, and they wrote the Nicene Creed so that churches could confess it and stay faithful to the Trinity of Scripture rather than being tempted to go the Hmm. direction of Arianism. And one of the phrases in the Nicene Creed, it's at the very beginning, it confesses God the Father, and then it says, and we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. There's that language from John's Gospel again. And notice what it says here. It's very, very careful. It says, Begotten from the Father before all time, light from light. That's also biblical language. True God from true God, begotten, not made, not created, of the same essence as the Father. Well, all that to say, In recent decades, in the 20th century and into our 21st century, some evangelicals have neglected this doctrine. Some have even rejected it, which is a scary thought. (laughs) Um, And so, there's been a bit of a resurgence lately. Part of the reason why I even wrote this book on the Trinity to say, you know what, Um, we actually need to recover uh, this doctrine and with it, a biblical and orthodox understanding of the Trinity, so that we not only understand who Jesus is in the right way, but we also then can go about articulating the gospel, the Christian life, and even worship in the church in a way that's not heretical, but, but actually faithful uh, faithful to the Scriptures and faithful to, say, the Nicene Creed.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of Matthew's book, if, if you are driving, you might want to get off on an exit right now, because if you text the word book— to 877-933-2484, text the word book to 877-933-2484, I have, thanks to Matthew, four copies of his book to give away. So get in on the drawing, and you can text the word book one more time, 877-933-2484. There's gonna be a lot of people excited about this. All right, Matthew, let's uh, start from a, like a, a blank slate, and let's say, how do we uh, encounter the Trinity in the gospel? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question.
1: Sometimes people don't. (laughs) And uh, I always try to sneak it in there. Um, You may remember just from, uh, you know, not long ago when you asked me about, you know, how was I saved? And I talked about how my parents were faithful to teach me the gospel. Well, that's a very natural uh, move that a Christian should be quite comfortable with. Um, But let's just take an example. Let's take this mysterious uh, belief in eternal generation uh, that John's gospel talks so much about, um, though the Apostle Paul will speak of it as well when he says that uh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, for example. Um, but let's take this, this, this doctrine. Well, when we come into contact with the gospel, what we discover is that the only reason that, this, that Jesus can save us The only reason he can live for us and die for us and rise from the grave for us and our salvation is if he is who he says he is. In other words, if he is not the Son of God, eternally begotten from the Father before all time, then he's actually not qualified nor capable to be sent by the Father to redeem us from our sins and and give us eternal life. Uh, sometimes that can sound uh, like a a difficult connection to make. But when we think about the gift of eternal life, for example, we can ask ourselves the question, well, must this, this son, this who Jesus says he is, must, must he be eternal himself? Must he be eternally from the father? If, if he's not, can he actually grant us the eternal everlasting life that we need so much? I can't help, but think of that uh, famous, hymn, uh, uh, maybe some of our listeners will remember this hymn from Christmas, uh, which was not too long ago, Hark the Herald Angels' oh, yes. Thing. Uh, Charles Wesley wrote this hymn, and at one point he says he says in that hymn, and, and we sing it, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. and And at this point... You'll notice that Charles Wesley then says he was born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Well, the only reason that he can give us a second birth is because, well, this same son was eternally born or begotten from the Father. And on that basis, we can have every assurance of our salvation
0: so interesting and i can i can go down so many rabbit trails in my head when i start trying to think of the trinity because i've compartmentalized things throughout my life when i think about the bible without fully understanding for example matthew when you think of christ on the cross and he said you know my god my god why have you forsaken me obviously he's quoting psalm 22 and fulfilling mm-hmm. prophecy from the cross which is fantastic but was God the Father present or not present at the crucifixion?
1: Well, this is a really good question as well, uh, because we could be tempted to say, well, I suppose there's a, a split in the Trinity, as if uh, the Trinity dissolves at this point and is broken and ruptured. Um, that If that's true, that would be really devastating. (laughs) I mean, that would be catastrophic for for our belief in the Trinity, Um, and it would mean that the Trinity either ceases to exist or or falls apart on us at that point. I think rather, and and you already gave away the answer, really, um, the fact that he's quoting from the Psalms, that gives us a hint of what's going on. Mm -hmm. We have to remember that um, to, to be sinners, to break the law is to fall under the curse of the law. Mm-hmm. The Old Testament makes a big deal about this. Yeah.
0: Matthew, I have to interrupt, only because this has gotten to be too important to, to rush through. So let's just uh, wait till we get back from the break, because this is a hard break that I have no control over. So when we come back, we can pick up this conversation, because it is so interesting. Um, Dr. Uh, Matthew Barrett is my guest, and his book is simply Trinity: The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. I have four copies to give away, so text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four, and we will be right back. Matthew Barrett is my guest. His book is called "Simply Trinity: The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit," and he's offered four copies of his book to give away. And Matthew, there is a feeding frenzy for this this book. Let me tell you. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> a I'm lot always of interest.
1: People want to learn about God.
0: Yeah, amen to that. So, right before uh, we we started uh, uh, before the break, I asked you about was the Father present at the crucifixion, and you were going down a wonderful road. I just want to make sure you've got lots of space to continue that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a it's a really difficult question, but an important one to get right. Um, I think Jesus's quotation of the psalm there is, is quite telling, because he is quoting from the Old Testament. We know from the Old Testament that We are under the curse of the law. Uh, Paul makes a huge deal about this to say, we need to be liberated from the law because we're under its curse. Well, how is that going to happen? Well, it's only only gonna happen if Jesus uh, comes in our place and takes that curse for us. Uh, There's a lot of symbolism then to the fact that he hangs on a tree. And the New Testament makes no secret about this. He hangs on a tree because he's cursed. And so in that sense, as he is substituted for us, in that sense, Jesus can quote from the psalm and say, I am forsaken. It doesn't mean that uh, the Trinity has dissolved and the Father has divorced the Son or something like that, something strange like that. No, not at all. Uh, Actually, what's being referred to here is, well, Jesus has come, and as our Redeemer, he's been forsaken for me. I should have been forsaken, just like Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. Uh, Well that should have been me, but instead he was forsaken in my place. You know, it brings up a really important issue, and it's just this. When we talk about the Trinity and any work of redemption, we always have to remember that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work as one because they are one in essence. Mm -hmm. There's a fancy theological phrase. Uh, to to say just that, and it's called inseparable operations. All that means is that just as the Father, Son, and Spirit are one in essence and will, so do they perform the same single act uh, in in whether it's creation or divine providence or even redemption
0: itself. Mm, so interesting. So, can we have fellowship and communion with each person of the Trinity?
1: Absolutely. In fact, this is not that far removed from uh, what we were just talking about, mm-hmm. um, because on the one hand, whenever we are brought, um, whenever we are brought into fellowship with one person of the Trinity, well, the remarkable thing is that we can actually uh, have fellowship with the whole Trinity. Uh, so when when we often experience this in prayer, for example. Um, the Holy Spirit um, opens our eyes in faith to Jesus Christ. Well, as that occurs, we are then ushered before the the grace of of the Father and and all the the love he has in store for us. And so we have we have communion with the whole Trinity and at the same time, what's so what's so remarkable is that um, each of these persons of the Trinity, well, they give to us uh, salvation in a way that's quite fitting uh, to to who they are as Father, Son, Spirit, and so we enjoy the the love of the Father through the the grace of the Son, and and that comes to us by the the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and so this is really echoing uh, Paul's benediction in Second Corinthians thirteen when he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you
0: all. So when you pray, is it all right to address the Holy Spirit in prayer? Yeah,
1: you know, this is uh, a question that sometimes uh, can be perplexing um, to Christians, because um, we know, for example, you know Jesus teaches us to pray, uh, Our Father in heaven, mm-hmm. hallowed be your name. At the same time, though, uh, even in the benediction that uh, I I just said from Second Corinthians thirteen, you'll notice how Jesus, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Paul turns our attention right away to Jesus to say, Well, the only reason you can uh, go to the Father and receive His love is because of the grace of the Lord Jesus. So, in that sense, it's perfectly. Um, a, a good thing, according to Paul, to, to to say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace, uh, so that I can go to, and receive the love of the Father. But what about the Holy Spirit? Where's the Holy Spirit yeah. in all this? Well, two things I think we need to say. First of all, notice that the only reason we can even, uh, and, and Scripture is quite adamant about this, the only reason we can say in the first place, uh, Jesus is Lord. Well, we can only say that by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's the one that gives us a new heart, uh, that grants us faith and repentance, that gives us even a desire in the first place to to love Christ rather than to hate Christ. So it's by means of the Holy Spirit that we say Jesus is Lord. And ultimately that means that it's by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we can even enjoy the the, the grace of, of Christ and the love of the Father. So in that sense, uh, there, there can be a point in prayer where it is very appropriate uh, to say, Holy Spirit, uh, open my eyes so that I see Christ for who He is, and and uh, and and ask. I, I pray this way when I read my Bible: Holy Spirit, illumine my understanding so that I don't miss what I should understand about about who Jesus is. Well, all that to say, we pray in that way because of the Holy Spirit, but it's also appropriate at times to recognize, oh, this is what the Holy Spirit is actually doing within me, so that I am, so that I understand and, and follow the gospel of Jesus
0: Christ. Mm-hmm. Matthew, we always usually close our prayers with, and we thank you, and we pray all these prayers in Jesus' name. We never close with, we pray all these in the Holy Spirit's name, do we?
1: Yeah, and you know what? Um, it's appropriate to say, you know i my kids will say this as well, you know in in Jesus' name, amen, um, that's appropriate because I think we're recognizing uh, well, it's only uh because Jesus is our mediator that we can we can dare to be so bold to to receive grace and 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 the love that the Father has in store for us, and yet, at the same time, we can tell our kids, you know what' The only reason you can even say in Jesus' name is because the Holy Spirit is with you now, the Holy Spirit's indwelling you and and giving you the faith to say, "Yeah, Jesus is my Lord, He is my Savior, and so i'm going I'm going to follow him with that amen-hmm,
0: <laughs> I like that a uh, couple of questions have come in matthew i I know you you don't mind taking them i wouldn't wouldn't imagine you'd mind. Can you please talk about the passage in John seventeen where Jesus identifies? the desired unity of believers with each other and with God as being the same unity as that between Jesus and the Father.
1: Yeah, you know, this is a really uh, pivotal point in the gospel, isn't it? Because um, Jesus is building in his ministry uh, to the degree where he is trying to instruct the disciples. Um Uh, who are often quite (laughs) oftentimes uh, very uh, disruptive and divisive even with one another. Um, And so as Jesus is trying to instruct them on, well, what does it mean? What does it mean to love one another? What does it mean to be united to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? Um, It's appropriate at that point uh, for Jesus uh, to to point them to the fact that, Well, this is not coming out of of just nowhere. Uh, In fact, the very one who's giving them this instruction is one with the Father. Um, So so that correlation is quite helpful for them. Um, At the same time, though, we have to be careful here because we could push that text too far, uh, as if Jesus is giving a a whole paradigm uh, from the Trinity to establish a certain type of church government uh, or a certain type of of forming ourselves as uh, a a congregation. We want to be careful we don't push that too far to read all kinds of specifics into it. That's been the habit over the 20th century, and ironically enough, you have all kinds of uh, theologians coming to very divergent opinions on what the church should look like based on the Trinity. And so we, we want to be careful we don't push that too far and uh, maybe, you know, take what Jesus is saying and and make it mean more than it does.
0: Mm -hmm. Another question comes in from a listener who does sign, so she was interpreting for someone and was wondering why oneness Pentecostalism is wrong, because apparently God is one and there's no Trinity. She said that she disagreed with it, but she'd love to learn more.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear hear that she disagreed. I mean, it can be a difficult issue, especially if the person is a friend of yours, and and they uh, maybe they're a, a Jesus only or a, a Jesus only type of oneness Pentecostal. Um, I think one of the uh, important things that that you can do at that point is uh, remind your friend that yes, uh, Scripture does teach us that God is one. And at the same time, we have to ask ourselves, well, does Scripture give us reason to believe that this one God is is uh, three persons? In other words, uh, is this one God just merely changing or morphing or putting on three different masks that we call Father, Son, Spirit? Well, actually, Scripture seems to say something far more profound, um, as, as mysterious as it is for us to understand. Um There's not just you know three forms that God takes, uh, rather there's actually three distinct persons, and we saw this earlier with our language of Father and Son at Jesus's baptism, Um, but we also see it even at points when Jesus is talking about his unity with the Father. You think of John five, for example. They're ready to stone Jesus because he is saying uh, that he is one with the Father. And yet at the same time, Jesus will turn right around and distinguish himself as a person to say uh, he's been sent from the Father. Um, Isn't it fascinating that so often in the Gospels they quote from Psalm 110 as Jesus is trying to establish who he is, and what it means for him to be the Messiah, but, but ultimately the Son of God, he says, well, what does David mean when he says, the Lord says to my Lord? In other words, Jesus' point here is that this is not David. There's actually two lords, and David's been given a, a first uh, first row seats, a front seat, uh, to, to sort of listen in on the Trinity as these distinct persons um, as he hears them speak to one another about what they're going to accomplish in redemption.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. If you're just uh, getting out of your car, cause you got home, you're going to have to run into your house and turn on the radio because you're not going to want to miss my next question for, uh, Matthew Barrett, which is in his book, he talks about the Trinity dream team. So the question I want to ask him is who is the most important player on that team and why? And his book is, uh, entitled simply trinity the unmanipulated father son and spirit we have four copies to give away thanks to him all you have to do is text the word book to 877-933-2484 you're right back to be with Dr. Matthew Baer today. His book is Simply Trinity, the Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. And a lot of people are jumping in on the book drawing. We've got four copies. Text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. 2484 In his book, he uh, talks about the Trinity Dream Team and who was the most important player on the team and why. Matthew, go ahead. <laughs>
1: Well, you put me in a, a very difficult uh position here. I have to I just have to say that from the beginning because um you know, you think about that uh 19 what is it? 1992 and the NBA put together that all-star lineup for the Olympics. You had, you know, Magic Johnson mm-hmm. and Larry Bird and of course you had that young cocky uh rookie. Uh, I think his name was Michael Jordan. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. Oh, and so many others, right? You know, Charles Barkley and so many others. And so, you know, as I was writing uh, my book, Simply Trinity, it, it dawned on me, you know, it's it's not that if we're going to recover a very biblical and, and orthodox understanding of the Trinity today, um, if, if we're going to actually, um, you know, introduce this Trinity into our church again, right? So it affects everything from our preaching to our worship to even our prayers. Well, it it dawned on me, I don't think we just need one, uh, but we need many different, we need a whole team of individuals to help us. uh, We're we're always standing on the shoulders of others, aren't we? And so uh, goodness on this dream team, I match them all up. I mean, it's a bit subjective, I know, but you know, for Magic Johnson, I've got Athanasius playing point guard. And uh, you know, for for uh, Michael Jordan, I've got uh, the, the famous uh, church father, Augustine, and and on and on and on. So I had a lot of fun with it. But if I had to pick one, though this is very dangerous, <laughs> but if I had to pick one, I think I would pick Augustine. And uh, that might be some people I know because, you know, after all, Athanasius, uh, goodness, I mean, he labored so hard in such difficult times to defend the Trinity against heresy, um, and so did others. You think of like Gregory of Nazianzus, his little tiny book called On God and Christ, and in such a short little book, he uh, just beautifully uh, explains the Trinity. But I say Augustine because uh, Augustine comes a little bit later, and he writes a a, a beef beefy, uh, muscular book on the Trinity. It's simply called The Trinity. And Augustine shows himself not just to be a brilliant commentator on scripture, but he also shows himself to be uh, just a profound theologian. But what I love about Augustine is that it's not just head knowledge for him. He understands that if this is who God is, uh, then this changes everything. It changes how he understands the gospel. It, it changes uh, how he instructs uh, worship in his church, and it certainly changes the Christian life for him as well. And so for Augustine, um, it's not as if we choose between uh, doctrine and real life. For him, they go together. In fact, um, in order to get the Christian life right, augustine is is absolutely convinced we must get the Trinity right first.
0: was uh c s. Lewis on the dream team? You know, I didn't
1: put c s. Lewis on there however uh if if listeners read my book and they they pay close attention, they will find that c s. Lewis pops his head up at one point <laughs> because that most famous book that we all love, Mere Christianity. And I think this says something. Uh, In mere Christianity, have you ever noticed that right in the middle, C.S. Lewis devotes two whole chapters to discussing and defending this doctrine we've been talking about, the Son's eternal generation. And he talks about Scripture, and he also talks about the Nicene Creed. And, you know, that's telling, isn't it? Because... Out of all the things Lewis could have talked about, we uh, you know about what does it mean to be a Christian and what is Christianity about? He really considered this to be absolutely central, and 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 so should we today.
0: Mm-hmm. Matthew, Matthew, how do you understand, to the best of the the way biblical description is of the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us as believers? How how do you how do you best ex- Describe that to, let's say, a, a seventh grade uh, a Bible study class.
1: Mm. Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned this because we we do sometimes forget about the Holy Spirit, don't we? Mm-hmm. And and uh, that can that can be a, a terrible mistake. Um, I think what I would say to them first is this: I would say to them, uh, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, You have the Holy Spirit to thank, because the Holy Spirit, this is exactly where Jesus goes when he's talking to Nicodemus in John 3, the Holy Spirit is the one who causes us to be born again. Uh, Jesus uses lots of metaphors, right? This is something he loves to do to teach, and he says, well, he says to Nicodemus, who should know these things, he's a teacher of Israel, he says to him, well, uh, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. And then he immediately talks about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit's like the wind. And it, you, you don't see it, but you do feel its effects. And uh, the, the wind blows wherever it wishes. Well, this is the wonderful, very powerful work of the Holy Spirit to bring us uh, to new life, um, from from spiritual death to, to raise us to new spiritual life and to give us faith and repentance so that we trust in Christ. Well, if that's true, um, then who must this Holy Spirit be to begin with? And mm-hmm. that's where I devote an entire chapter in my book to say, um, well, if this is the, the Spirit that makes us alive in Christ, well, that's only because this is the same Spirit who proceeds from from Christ and from the Father from all eternity, and so we have a name for this too. If the Son is begotten from the Father, we say the Spirit, uh, the Spirit is spirated. He is spirated from the Father and the Son. Jesus makes great reference to this uh, at the towards the end of the Gospel of John, when that He says He's going to leave them, and the disciples are quite worried. Are, are they going to be left? as orphans. And Jesus says, no. He says, I am going to send the Holy Spirit. Um, and we also learn in Scripture then that um, this this is the Holy Spirit by which we are then able uh, to cry out, Abba, Father. Um, that is only possible because of the Holy Spirit.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that. Matthew, let me go back to the seventh grade um, Sunday school class, that you've done a nice job of explaining the Holy Spirit to. And let's say the seventh grader is telling a joke that might be even a little squirrely and off color and and grandma walks in and all of a sudden they stop telling the joke because grandma's here. They're not gonna tell a joke with grandma in the room, right? So the person of the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. So aren't you at some point forcing the person of the Holy Spirit to be sitting through every bad joke you listen to, Everything you look at it on the internet that you shouldn't. Uh, every yeah. place you go that you might be wandering uh, off into sin, you are you are literally forcing the person of the Holy Spirit to go through that with you.
1: Well, uh, you know what? I, we all we all feel for Grandma at that moment, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Grandma, uh, but of course it's probably because we've all been on the other side of that as well. Uh, as uh, you know jokes often go but I would just say um, isn't this a reason why we can just thank God that he is so patient he is so patient with us you know in in scripture it makes this unbelievable statement it says that if you are in Christ Jesus then you God considers you uh, a temple of the Holy Spirit that is a remarkable statement if you think about it because in in the Old Testament of course the Israelites had to go to to the temple uh to offer sacrifices but now that that Christ has mediated on our behalf well we are temples in Christ Jesus we are temples but the thing is notice we're temples of the Holy Spirit which means that um we're, we're not, uh, as much as we might like to think this is the case, it's not as if we're saved, and then we're, we we just never sin again. Uh, actually, uh, we have to be conformed into the image of Christ, and that is the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit in which He helps us put sin to death, but also He helps us then live according to the, the new creature and the new life um, that we are in
0: Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Matthew, thank you so much for being on the show today. Are you you still living in the KC area? I am, yes. I'm in Kansas City. Uh, Fantastic. I've been here
1: for five years now.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking time uh, to be on the show. I think your work is great. I've been very fascinated with uh, some of your analysis of the Trinity. It's a huge subject. I've never done thinking about it, studying it, learning about it. So I, I know a lot of our listeners are very interested in being in on the drawing So I know you've left a a big impression today. Thank you. Thank you for
1: having me, and I really hope they enjoy the book.
0: Yeah, me too. Have a great rest of your evening. Again, my guest has been Dr. Matthew Barrett, and his book is called Simply Trinity, The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. Four copies to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. And that's all the show we have for today. I'm already looking forward to being with you tomorrow. Uh, I look forward to it uh, every day. So put your head on the pillow tonight. Know that God loves you and is working out His plan in your life. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.